In September of 20, 2009, Simon Sinek delivered a TED Talk that went on to be one of the most popular TED Talks in all of history. Currently, it has 58 million views, and the substance of what he said became a book that he entitled, Start With Why. Start With Why. His idea was simple, but yet easily overlooked, and he says this, this is sort of the thesis of his book. Most of us start with what we do, move on to how we do it, and finally get around to explaining why we do it. Further, very few people or companies can clearly articulate why they do what they do. By why, I mean your purpose, your cause, your belief. Why does your company exist? Why do you get out of bed every morning? And why should anyone care? Starting with and staying with why is good counsel and it's exactly what Paul does for us today in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verses 14 through 16. If you've ever wondered why is the church, this is the passage for us this morning. We can be familiar with what a church is, where a church is, how a church functions, when a church gathers, but not maybe ask the why question. What is the why of our church? What is the why of the church? Even to put a finer point on it, what's the why of center church? And that's the very question we see answered in 1 Timothy chapter 14 through 16. This book answers the why of our church and every authentic church on the planet, past, present, and forever into the future. Just to summarize what we're going to read, the purpose, the why of our church is this, to hold up, to shore up the truth and mystery of Jesus Christ. To hold up and shore up the truth and mystery of Jesus Christ. Now we're not just talking about truth in general. You'll notice that in our passage, our passage tells us that we are about to be about the truth, not just truth. Whenever there's a definite article in front of something, it means something specific, not something general. And whenever we see the, two, the little two-word two word phrase, the truth, this is a two-word description of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what are we called to do? Hold up, shore up, the truth and mystery of Jesus Christ. I'll show you where I got that from. If you'll join me in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 14 through 16 from the English Standard Version. God's word says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Let's pray. Lord, I am keenly aware of my need of your help. Lord, I'm aware of my frailties, my vulnerabilities, my sins even this week, Lord, and I just ask that you would overcome those many and real flaws and weaknesses, Lord, and help me to preach faithfully your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be amongst us this morning in power 
as we open your word, Lord, and as we open your word, open our hearts. Help us to hear. Awaken us to your truth. And I pray, Lord, that we would pray, Lord, that we would see our call as a church here in this passage. Jesus, it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. So how do we hold up, shore up the truth and mystery of Jesus Christ? How do we hold up and shore up the truth and mystery of Jesus Christ? We'll do that. Our passage, I think, can be broken up into two points. First, the truth. We see this described, not just a truth, but the truth. We see this described in verses 14 and 15. Now we've said on multiple occasions through this book that verses 14 through 16 stands as the purpose statement or the reason Paul wrote this letter. And he supplies us with four images of the church that, we're, that we saw in verse 15. We looked at two of them last week. We're going to look at two more this week. Let me refresh your memory. Verse 15, if I delay, he wants Timothy to know how you how, know how one ought to behave in the household of God. That's one image. We talked about that last week. Which is the church of the living God. We talked about that last week. A pillar and buttress of the truth. So then those are the last two images we're going to focus on primarily this morning. The truth and buttress of the truth. So we'll, the, the pill, we are called to be, as a church, our why is to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. Now what Paul does here is he uses architectural symbols to describe the why of the church and the why of our church. A pillar and a buttress. Both of these images describe in precise detail the why of our church. Now what do pillars do and what do buttresses do? Pillars we're more familiar with. Pillars, what do they do? They hold up the roof. The original audience really understood what pillars were. The temple at Artemis in Ephesus, which we talked about last week, was a massive building known as one of the seven wonders of the world, and it had this wonderfully ornate, beautiful marble roof. And to hold it up, there were 127 different pillars built in that building to hold up that roof. The building because of all those pillars, could be festooned with all kinds of majestic art. But only because these pillars held up this roof. Pillars, so we've seen, pillars hold up roofs. What about a buttress? A buttress shores up buildings. Now, the goal of a buttress was to support the weight of the roof, much like a pillar. Because sometimes what can happen is the roof can be so heavy that without buttresses, the weight of the roof could cause the walls to buckle or become weakened. And so the buttresses shore up the whole building and give it strength. Pillars hold, so what do we have? Pillars, they hold up. Buttresses, they shore up. So ends your free Wikipedia architectural lesson for the day. But what does this have to do with our why again? Remember, what we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the church, every particular church, even center church is called to be a pillar and buttress of the truth. We're to be pillars of the truth, which means we're to hold up the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ for all to see. We're not to preach ourselves or be taken with our brand or try to be something that we're not. What we're called to be 
are people who hold up the truth of the gospel corporately together as a pillar would hold up a roof. We're also called to be buttresses, and this might take a little bit more explanation. We're called to be buttresses that shore up or strengthen the truth. Now, you might say, wait a minute. Truth is truth regardless of what we do with it. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. I would even go further and say we are, as a church, built by the truth of the gospel. Absolutely. But that's not Paul's point here. Remember, Paul is explaining why. So he's telling us how we are to relate to the truth that has been given to us. So it's a given that we're built by the truth, but how are we to relate to this kind of truth? How are we to relate as a church to this gospel truth? Well, as pillars, we hold up this truth. And as buttresses, we shore up the truth. Paul's letter to Timothy shows us, as Steve Timmis says, how important the gospel is for the church, but equally how important the church is for the gospel. So what does it mean to shore up the the truth? (laughs) Well, here's what it means. It means we give validity to the message of the gospel. If we're people who just can talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ and yet don't have lives that show any kind of transformation or change, then it doesn't lend validity to the, to the message that we proclaim. It doesn't lend validity to the truth that we proclaim. If we say, here's the reality of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has changed my life forever, but if our lives look like everybody else, and there's no difference, and if our lives, there's no difference between our lives and the lives of our culture, are we really transformed? Are we really showing the truth of the gospel to our community? And the answer would be no. So what we do as a church is to raise up the truth, but also, also, we shore up the truth. Because when people come to us and see our church and communi- and we communicate what we communicate in song and communion and prayer and preaching and fellowship, and if we say we believe that Jesus transforms and yet we don't live that way, we lie about the gospel. And so the people in the outside world, they don't think the gospel is very powerful. They don't think the message of Jesus Christ is very strong. They don't think that there's much to it. They don't know that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the very power of God. And they have no idea that Jesus Christ can and does change people forever who hear and believe the message about Jesus Christ. And so if our church looks just like the world, We're not shoring up the truth of the gospel. See, what we're doing is we want for the people who do not know Jesus to be able to come and see. What we do is we hold up the truth of this gospel and we shore up the truth of the gospel. So that's why when we gather, the message on our lips is the good news of Jesus Christ in all that we do, in song, in communion, in prayer, in exhortation, in preaching, in fellowship. That's what we look to do. Lift high the truth the truth, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. Our call is not to spin off our opinions about American exceptionalism, politics, Biden, Trump, vaccine, the media, taxes, or national debt. Our call, instead, is to raise high the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that means, that doesn't mean we can't have an opinion on all kinds of other things, 
But none of those things are the reasons that we gather. We hold up and shore up the truth about Jesus Christ. Now, this might be a new thought to you. You might think, well, how can we cover all sorts of other issues? Because there's all kinds of other problems that I have, and we live in a fallen world that doesn't seem to make much sense. How can we get to any of those pressing topics if all we do is talk about Jesus Christ? Well, the simple answer is, I'll give you, the, I'll give you a couple answers. First, keep reading First Timothy and see all the topics he talks about. But all of them are connected back to Jesus. You're not going to understand anything aright if you do not understand how it relates to the good news of Jesus Christ. And so that's one of the reasons we're preaching through 1 Timothy, to help us all understand how each of these very practical issues, and this is a very practical book, relates to the good news of Jesus Christ. We Christians can and must talk about all kinds of things, but we must talk about all kinds of things in the light of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, our call, our relation to this truth is to hold it up constantly and to shore it up, meaning we live lives, we live lives and li- lives in line with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't forget how alarming sin is. How alarming is sin? So alarming that we hear this in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15. The the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. How alarming was our sinful nature? So alarming that the Son had to get up and leave. The Son vacated heaven and His place of honor and glory and prestige and adoration to come to this world to save sinners. We have to know that if there's any other way for sinners to be saved, the Lord would have done it that way. Not only did he leave his glory, but he came to be scorned and shamed and butchered. The one who once was seated on the throne, encircled by worshiping angels, came to be pinned to a cross, encircled by evil men. Why? Because Jesus came to save sinners. The one who was the jewel of heaven, the delight of his father's eye. He came to be scorned and accused by this very father. Why? Because Jesus came to save sinners. The one who was high and lifted up and exalted in song, he came to be low and crushed and laid in a borrowed grave. Why? Because he came to save sinners. He who was once far above and and removed from the morass of the dark and demented world that we inhabit, Why did he come near to seek out the witless and foolish people like me? Because Jesus came to save sinners. And this truth, friends, is our truth. This is the truth that we are to hold up like a pillar and to shore up like a buttress. See, we give... This is one of the reasons that we practice what's a very difficult practice, church discipline. Church discipline is prescribed to us in Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And part of the reason we practice church discipline is because it is lethally delusional to believe that you can follow Jesus without a transformed life. A Christian will struggle with all kinds of sin. But a Christian must not give in and come to terms and live with unrepentant sin. See, one of the reasons we take church discipline so seriously is because we must live a life that is faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We must take sin seriously. And the way we take it seriously is not by punishing and not by shunning, not by, not by rushing to judgment or being hasty, but by calling people to repent and turn from their ways and freely come to Jesus because he will freely forgive any wrong that we have done. And he doesn't hold recrimination against us. See, we can shore up the gospel when we show people that do not know Jesus that though we were once gossips and philanderers or liars or cheaters, thieves or drunkards, murderers or despots or greedy or sexually immoral, even self-righteous, though we were some of those things, we are not those things any longer. Why? Because we even come in contact with the truth of Jesus Christ. And this encounter is something we as Christians must continue to hold up. So that's our message. The truth we hold up. The truth we shore up as well to give validity to the message that we have. See, our world doesn't think the gospel is a weighty thing. If they did, they would all follow Jesus. It seems silly and reductionistic. They're under the mistaken understanding that the good news is not very strong, that it's just words. They don't understand that it is the power of God for salvation. They don't understand. They have no idea that this good news, is the, this message is the only message that can bring the dead back to life. They don't understand that this message is the only message that can give sight to the blind or bind up the brokenhearted or grant hope to the downcast or transform the broken or reach out to the forgotten or restore the compromised or inspire the wandering or remove burdens. They don't understand that. But we do because we've experienced that. This is why we're called to hold up and shore up this truth the truth of the mystery of Jesus Christ. That's our why. This is what we're doing. This is what we're about. This is our why. That's the truth we've seen. Now we move to verse 16 and the mystery. The mystery. The mystery is really really the content of the truth. Now when Paul uses the word mystery, he means not something that is hidden, but something that was hidden and is now revealed. And when he says the mystery, he means the mystery of what Christ has done for sinners like you and me. We read this in verse 16. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Now, look up. We've already read this, so this isn't much of a spoiler, but when we hear the word godliness, most of us think what I do or what I want to be. We use godly in sentences like, well, she's godly, or I want to be godly. He's, he's ungodly. But generally, the way we use it describes godliness and the degree which someone resembles God and therefore is godly. And so when you hear, great indeed, we confess the mystery of godliness, you would expect or might think that the next few lines describe how we obey, what we're called to do, how we should pray, the amount of faith we have. But that's not what happens. What we have is an invitation to look away from ourselves and look instead to Him. See the first word after great, indeed, we confess 
is the mystery of godliness. That next first word is he. He. Who? Jesus Christ. The mystery or the plan of godliness is found in Jesus Christ. In other words, the plan of God to save you and me steeped in our sin and misery is more about what Jesus has done, what he's doing, and what he will do than about anything we can do or anything we are. See, here's the basic bottom line fact. Without God in Christ saving you and me, we would not be able to become godly. But with Jesus, because we're in him, we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Jesus is the reason any of us want to be godly. Jesus is the reason any of us want to be different. Jesus is the reason we can hope for better things. See, the desire to be godly, the desire to resemble our Savior, the desire to grow is something that only the Holy Spirit can work in our lives. And so, if there's a desire in your life for something more of godliness, for something more of a taste of Jesus Christ, for something more of the presence of God. This is something that God has put in your life. This is something God has moved on your life with. It's not about us. It's not about you. And the power of godliness is not found in the strength of our faith, nor is it found in the amount of our faith, nor is it found, the power of godliness is not found in the earnestness of our prayers or the thoroughness of our obedience but in the power of Christ and Christ alone. Paul is saying that you need Jesus not just as an addition to yourself, but you need Christ to be your life. And the degree to which we understand that we live to Christ, live for Christ, and live in Christ is the degree to which we grow in Christ. So, if we are ever going to hold up and shore up the truth and mystery of Jesus Christ, we need to understand and make sure that Jesus is the focal point of our lives. The reason any of us have life today is because He was manifested in the flesh. Meaning, He came to earth to live as a man and die as a man. He was vindicated by the Spirit. This man who came really came and really died and was vindicated when the Holy Spirit brought him back to life. This man was seen by angels, meaning this is a universal thing. It wasn't just something that mankind saw, but instead all of the universe, even heaven, and the angels in heaven took note of God sending Christ and bringing him back via the Spirit from the dead. He was proclaimed among the nations. Jesus is preached among our nation and all other nation, many other nations to this day, and the goal is to preach him even in the nations where his name is not yet known. But he's been proclaimed since he was ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's been believed in the world. Men and women, boys and girls, can still call upon the name of Jesus Christ and believe and be saved. And lastly, he was taken up to glory. He has ascended and is ruling over all things from his throne. He is seated, interceding or praying for all of us individually by name. 
So if we're going to hold up, shore up, the truth and mystery of Jesus, Jesus must be a divine preoccupation. Now some might think, well, that sounds great, and I could believe what you said about the passage. I believe what you said about Jesus, but it all just seems a little bit too extreme, too radical. I want to be a Christian. I want Jesus to be a part of my life, but I want to be normal, and I don't want to appear like a fanatic or unbalanced. What you're saying seems a little bit unbalanced. And I would say, I understand. Makes sense. But respectfully, I don't think that's the right way to approach Jesus. I don't think this passage invites us to make Jesus just this little part of our lives. This passage invites us to let him define who we are. I ran across this delightful little story in my reading a couple weeks ago. And I'll try to paraphrase it for you in a way that makes sense. This theologian said, somebody told him that imagine the distance between the earth and the sun was the thickness of this piece of paper, right? Not very thick. Now, if I were to put this piece of paper on the ground, just like I'm doing, with no problem at all, I can step over it. I don't even have to really raise my foot. And I still have vertical leap enough to jump over that. Now, that's, imagine that's the distance between the earth and the sun. Now, imagine now if we were to... <laughs> imagine if we were to use stack paper 70 feet high, and that would resemble the distance between here and the nearest star, Alpha Centauri. Now, further imagine that if we were to stack paper from here, 310 feet high, that would be a model of or resemble the distance the Milky Way is across. Now, the Milky Way is only one galaxy in countless galaxies. And we know from Scripture that Jesus Christ holds all things together with the word of his power. Now, do you ask that kind of person to be your personal assistant? Maybe do you even say, listen, I'm going to give you a promotion. You'd be my executive assistant. Who's assisting whom? We... we we have it backwards if we think he exists to make me X, Y, or Z. No, 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 no. We exist to bring glory to him. We exist to hold high his message and to shore up that truth so that there's validity and certainly certainty. If Jesus gave all, and we know he did, if he gave heaven, if he gave all he had in heaven, all the glory he set aside, everything to come and live and die, don't we owe him more than just a piece of our lives? For sure. What don't we owe him? We owe him everything. Now, there may be some in here who think that you're convicted and you're thinking, I don't live with Jesus at the focal point of my life enough. 
Well, guess what? I'm in that boat too. I think there are, many of us are. When we're convicted, what we do, I mean, it goes in line with the gospel, right? What we do is we confess that sin and go to our loving God knowing that we have access before Him. And we can say, I don't, listen, I have made you a personal assistant. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Please forgive me and help me to live a life more focused on you with you as the focal point of who I am so that individually and corporately we can be a people who raise high the truth and the mystery of Jesus Christ and shore it up to bring validity to it. But after you confess, take your eyes off yourself don't look inside and say, how could I do that? I'm such a horrible person. This is ridiculous. I should be beyond this. Stop. Look away. Look away and look at this here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Here we have a song. You can see it in the ESV. You've got these, you know, it's indented a little bit to help us understand that this is a song. This is most likely a hymn that our brothers and sisters from ages gone by sung. And this hymn was probably, well, it was definitely written before Paul wrote First Timothy. This hymn, this hymn reminds us that we will all fall short, but he didn't. And so we look away from ourselves and look to him and remember that we have no friend like we have in Jesus. He purchased us with his very blood. He promises that he will stick with us today, tomorrow, and always. He promises that he will not allow anything to come into our lives that will not ultimately work for our benefit. He promises that he will hold tighter to us than we can hold to him. He promises that he has ensured us to be justified before the Father in heaven just as if we had never sinned. He promises that he prays for us by name right now. And he loves us. Friends, it is no trial to commit yourself to someone who loves you like this. And there's no one, no one, who loves you like Jesus does. So when we talk about what's our why, our why at Center Church is to hold up the truth like a pillar, hold up the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and say any who come to Him, anyone, no matter where they're from, no matter what you've done, no matter who you think you are, anyone can come to Him and be saved. That message we hold up. And that message we shore up as we continue together to follow this Jesus and live authentic, not perfect, but authentic lives as disciples of Jesus Christ who speak to the transformation that we've experienced. Not that we're perfect, but that we're in process and that we are different than we were last year and 10 years ago and 20 years ago. See, this is our message. Our message is not one of human achievement. It's not one of human potentiality. It's one of what God in Christ has done for us. That, friends, is our why. That is why we exist. We exist to trumpet the name 
of Jesus Christ to hold up this truth, to shore up this truth, and to proclaim as long as we have breath the truth and mystery of Jesus Christ. That's why Center Church is. And may that be our why tomorrow, next year, and in the decades to come when we're all gone. Jesus is our why. Let's pray. Lord, it's easy to forget and get distracted. It's easy to be put off the scent of following you and look to all kinds of other things. But Lord, I just pray that you would bless our church, Lord, because what our church needs, what we all need, is not secret answers to a successful life. But what we need, what we need is to be a people who constantly fix ourselves on you. Lord, because there is no hope in anything or anyone else. And so, Lord, I ask that you would give us opportunity to be able to continue to broadcast this truth to the world that we live in. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a people who holds this truth up high so that people are drawn not to us and our brand or slickness or any the cool things that we do or anything like that, Lord, but I pray that you would help us to, be, to draw people to you. And I pray that as they come, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live consistent lives that bring validity and, 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 and confess and, and just validity to the truth of the gospel and the effect it has on people. I pray that the legitimacy of this truth would be, would be trumpeted to people as they come and interact with us, Lord. And I pray that we would be a people who constantly hold this truth and mystery up today, tomorrow, and in the years to come. And I pray, Lord, that you would awaken us all as Christians to this truth and this reality, knowing that eternity sits right outside the door. And Lord, we don't know when it's our time, but we do know that when it is, we will be with you. And so, Lord, in the time that we have left, help us to be a people who have your message on our lips so that we might, build up, we might hold up this truth and shore it up the truth and the mystery of Jesus Christ. Help us not to forget that. And in your name we pray. Amen.